Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Today, Season 3, Episode 3, A Constitution in Question, The King-Bing Affair of 1926. The King-Bing Affair was one of the most dramatic constitutional clashes in the history of this country, and was set off when the Governor-General, Lord Julian Bing, refused a request by then-Prime Minister William Mackenzie King to dissolve Parliament and call an election a refusal that would spark dramatic changes in not only the role of the Governor-General in Canada, but Canada's position within the broader British Empire, and even fundamentally alter the relationship between Great Britain and her dominions. This episode's book recommendation is the recent biography of Prime Minister Mackenzie King by Alan Levine, published in 2011 by Douglas and McIntyre. This book is a modern and in-depth examination of an enigmatic man who, through his long tenure as leader of this country, helped shape the modern Canadian political, economic, and social landscape for both worse and better. A reminder, you can find us on numerous platforms, iTunes, Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Facebook, just by searching Cool Canadian History, If you happen to access us via iTunes, please leave us a rating or a comment, or both. We love to hear your feedback on the show. If you find us on Facebook, please give us a like and a follow, so we can keep you up to date with all the goings-on of cool Canadian history. You can also now find us on our YouTube channel by simply searching, guess what, cool Canadian history on YouTube. You can find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S, and you can always find us at our homepage, www.coolcanadianhistory.com. All our podcasts are there for you to browse. As well, at the bottom of our homepage, you will see a donations tab courtesy of PayPal. PayPal makes it very easy and extremely secure to donate to our podcast. You can do so safely and securely via a transfer directly from your bank account, your credit card, or even your PayPal account if you have one. Every donation is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this bi-weekly podcast. Now, to begin this story, we actually have to have an understanding of how the Canadian political system works. Our political system is called the Westminster System, derived from the name of London's parliamentary building, Westminster Palace. 
Now, I'm not going to go into too much detail about the Westminster system, but we need to understand how elections work and what that means for the way this country is run. Knowing this will allow us to really understand the King-Bing controversy. So in Canada, we have the Governor-General. He or she is the representative of the Crown in Canada, and thus the representative of our Head of State, meaning, currently, Queen Elizabeth II is our Head of State. The Governor-General acts in Canada on her behalf. When an election is called, it is the Governor-General who dissolves the Canadian Parliament, known as the House of Commons, and announces that an election will be held on a certain date. Thus, the Governor-General's role is essential for an election to occur. Now, when an election occurs, members of Parliament are elected to the House of Commons to sit in a seat. Each seat is essentially one vote within Parliament. Generally speaking, candidates in federal elections represent a party and often run on that party's platform, basically the party's objectives were they to win the election. How a party wins an election is if they can get their party members elected to the most seats in the House of Commons. So presently, there are 338 seats up for grabs. So for instance, in the 2015 federal election, out of 338 seats, the Liberal Party won 184. This means that they hold the majority of seats in Parliament. This means that they are a majority government. For instance, a bill proposed by the Liberals can easily be passed because the Liberals have the majority of the votes in Parliament. When the election results are finalized, it is the Governor-General's responsibility to ask the party leader to form an official government. The party leader then becomes the Prime Minister, i.e. the First Minister to the Queen's representative, and forms a government called the Cabinet, and these are generally MPs from the winning party who have also been elected to the House of Commons. So elections do not pick a government. Elections elect a party, and the Governor-General then asks the leader of that party to form a government. I'm just going to say that one more time. Elections do not pick a government. Elections elect a party, and the Governor-General then asks the leader of that party with the most seats to form a government. Now, things get even more complicated with what we call a minority government. So, if a majority government has the majority of seats in the House of Commons, then you can imagine that a minority government does not have the majority of seats in the House of Commons, even though the minority government might have the most seats out of any of the parties in Parliament. So a minority government is when a party wins more seats than any other party in the House, but not enough to hold the majority of seats in the entire House of Commons. The Governor-General will still usually ask the leader of that winning party to form a government, but passing bills becomes extremely problematic. The minority government must rely on support from members of Parliament, not from that party those who were elected representing either other parties or even running as independents. This means that any bill proposed by the sitting minority government could be defeated if the Prime Minister is unable to get enough support from non-party MPs. If a bill proposed by the government is defeated, meaning it doesn't get enough votes, or if the House of Commons passes a no-confidence vote, simply meaning that they have lost confidence in the sitting government, it is accepted convention for the Prime Minister to then ask the Governor-General to dissolve Parliament 
and new elections to occur in order that a more stable government may possibly be elected into power. So minority governments can be very problematic, but at the same time, you have to understand that throughout Canadian history, we've had quite a number of very successful minority governments. So the important thing for all of us here, as your brain is trying to wrap itself around this sort of political diagram, the Governor General has a very important role to play in regards to the calling of elections in Canada and to the appointment of our country's Prime Minister. And all of this needs to be understood before we go into detail on the King-Bing affair. It's important to note as well that until 1935, the Governor-General was appointed by the Crown in London, and not by Canada. So the Governor-General at the centre of this particular affair is one of the most famous British military officers in Canadian military history, Lord Julian Bing, otherwise known as Viscount Bing of Vimy the commander of the Canadian Corps at Vimy Ridge. If you want to refresh on the details of the Battle of Vimy Ridge, please go back to Season 2, Episodes 14 and 15. Now, Julian Bing will be butting heads with one of Canada's longest-serving Prime Ministers, William Leon Mackenzie King, from Berlin, Ontario. The King-Bing Affair is rooted in the larger process that was occurring in the 1920s. This process witnessed a changing relationship between Canada and Great Britain, specifically in regards to Canada's role within the British Empire. You see, up to this point, let's say up to the early 1920s, Canada, frankly, was not responsible for its own foreign policy. So things like international trade, diplomacy, and war were all dictated from and by London, England. An obvious example of this is when England declared war on Germany in 1914. Canada was thus automatically at war with Germany. Now, in the early 1920s, many Canadians began to press for greater autonomy in regards to these affairs. One of these Canadians was our newest Prime Minister, William Lee and Mackenzie King, who had come to power leading a minority liberal government in 1921. Now, a couple of events really highlight this new independent spirit arising within the Canadian political consciousness. The first is the Chanuk Crisis of 1922. Essentially, and these are the Coles notes, Turkey threatened to attack British positions at the neutral port of Chanuk in modern-day Turkey. The British requested that her white dominions, that is Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, the Irish Free State, Newfoundland, and Canada, send soldiers to bolster the defenses. But Mackenzie King refused, saying that Canada would only send soldiers if open war was actually declared. This was shocking. It was the first time in Canadian history that a British request such as this was denied. It was assumed, of course, by the British that Canada would automatically send soldiers when requested by her mother country. Now, the second event is another precedent-setting event in Canadian political history, the Halibut Treaty of 1923. Now, I know the Halibut Treaty of 1923 does not sound as exciting as the Chanuk Crisis, but it is equally important for us here. Essentially, this was a treaty between the United States and Canada that settled issues over fishing rights. 
The significance here was that this treaty was signed by the U.S. and representatives from Canada, not by a British representative from London, as had been the procedure since Canada had first become a country in 1867. Mackenzie King made a point of making sure a Canadian representative signed the treaty without the British present. Thus, in these two events, we see a growing independent spirit amongst the Canadian political leadership, and this spirit helps set the stage for the King-Bing affair of 1926. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So as I have already mentioned, Mackenzie King had been in power at the head of a liberal minority government since 1921. And in 1925, the Governor General, Julian Bing, called an election after a request from King to do so. You see, King believed the Liberals were gaining political momentum and could return to Parliament with a majority of seats. King was wrong. King lost his own seat in his own riding's election, and the Liberals returned with only 101 seats. The Conservative Party returned with 115 seats. Now, that would have been enough to make a minority government, but this is where it gets a bit confusing. You see, the sitting Prime Minister of the country, up to this point, had the right to go to Parliament and seek a coalition in order to maintain his position in power. King, after taking the seat of one of his backbenchers, was able to do this through gaining the alliance of the party with the third most seats in Parliament, known as the Progressive Party, who had gained 24 seats. Thus, with the Progressive Party declaring for King, this coalition meant King now led 125 MPs, beating out the 115 led by the Conservative Party. This majority, coalition-based government, would not last. Late in 1925, a scandal emerged that implicated members of the Liberal Party. This allowed the Conservative Party, as Her Majesty's official opposition, to propose a vote of no confidence. King well understood that this vote of no confidence would defeat his government, as many from the Progressive Party had abandoned loyalty to this brief coalition that King had formed. King thus asked the Governor-General Julian Bing to dissolve Parliament and once again call a new election. Instead, the Governor-General refused. The Governor-General declared that the Conservatives should now have an opportunity to form a government, essentially allowing the Conservatives to do the same thing King had done in attempting to forge a coalition. King, in fact, asked Bing to consult London in regards to this unusual political situation, but Bing refused, saying that it was not appropriate to involve London in Canada's domestic politics. King thus resigned as Prime Minister in protest. The leader of the Conservative Party, a man named Arthur Meehan, was able to secure coalition support from Parliament. With this coalition support, 
the Governor-General asked Meehan to form Canada's new government, and Arthur Meehan became Canada's new Prime Minister. Thus, without any new elections occurring, Canada now had a new Prime Minister from a completely different party. This would be as strange as if Justin Trudeau, leader of today's Liberals, resigned, and without an election being called, the Conservatives and their leadership were asked to form the government. It was very strange indeed. Now, just like Mackenzie King's previous coalition government, Meehan's tenure in power did not last long. Parliament, led by the now opposition liberals, eventually pushed a no-confidence vote onto the floor in response to Meehan's appointments to cabinet, basically the people he was choosing to form the government. This no-confidence vote passed, and Meehan was forced to ask the Governor-General, once again, to dissolve Parliament and hold federal elections. The 1926 federal election thus saw Mackenzie King and the Liberals come back to power with a strong majority government, the very result Mackenzie King sought when he initially asked for elections in 1925. The controversy over Bing's refusal of Mackenzie King's request for an election and Bing allowing Meehan to seek a government coalition in Parliament without a proper election became a very serious issue. Mackenzie King, in fact, used the controversy as a political weapon during the 1926 election, calling on Canadians to vote for a party, his Liberal Party, that would not allow a foreign-appointed representative to influence domestic Canadian politics. Essentially, a call for full political sovereignty. And we can see that this call resonated with Canadians as Mackenzie King, of course, returned in 1926 with a majority government. In fact, this event not only allowed King to take power with the majority government, but it allowed him to continue to press for further autonomy for Canada within the British Empire. In 1926, at an imperial conference in London, King was able to secure a commitment known as the Balfour Declaration of 1926, which stated, and I quote, The United Kingdom and her dominions are autonomous communities within the British Empire, equal in status, in no way subordinate one to another in any aspect of their domestic or internal affairs, though united by a common allegiance to the crown. So basically... All the countries in the empire, including the United Kingdom herself, were equal in all ways. The Balfour Declaration would become formally enshrined in 1931 with the Statute of Westminster, one of the most important documents in Canada's history. This legislatively enshrined Canada's complete autonomy from the United Kingdom. She now could declare war, make trade deals, engage in diplomacy, and conduct her foreign affairs without British involvement or British representatives. The most obvious example of this is when, in 1939, Britain declared war on Germany. Canada did so too, but nine importantly symbolic days later. So what happened to Julian Bing, you ask? Because I know you asked that. Well, he finished his five-year tenure as Governor-General and in late 1926 returned home to England, eventually obtaining the rank of Field Marshal before his death in 1935. 
The British response to Bing's actions were mixed. Some of his peers and those in government believed he acted appropriately. Others believed he had stepped over the line. Bing himself said, and I quote, I have to await the verdict of history to prove my having adopted a wrong course. And this I do with an easy conscience that, right or wrong, I have acted in the interests of Canada and implicated no one else in my decision. End quote. Thus, what began as a confusing political controversy would eventually spawn into the recognition by London that Canada held complete autonomy over both her domestic and foreign affairs and was in fact equal to the United Kingdom and to all the dominions of the empire, united only by allegiance to the same monarch. God save the Queen. A reminder, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on SoundCloud, and you can find us at our website, www.coolcanadianhistory.com, and of course you can find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. I want to thank you for listening. For Cool Canadian History, I'm David Boris. Take care.